welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. Uh, so, so <laughs> we'll see how, see how this morning goes. We've been in a series called Square One. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you kind of step into a room and you think you know what's happening, and then you begin to interact in, in the way that seems normal to you, um, but it occurs to you by the way people respond to what you're doing, that it, like there's a bigger story here? Has anybody had that experience? Let me, let me share one of mine. Um, I worked for a number of years on a landscaping crew. Thank you. And, and um, we were pretty comfortable with one another. Landscaping, if you don't know, is like the worst job you can have in Florida um, because it's stinking hot. And so you've got to figure out a way to survive. And one of the ways that you can survive, you know, your flesh burning off your skin is if you make a joke about it. So uh, we end up joking with each other, harassing one another. If you've ever been on the construction crew, you're kind of familiar with this. But one of the jokes that our small team, you know, three, four guys, uh, got together, and, and one of our like go-to jokes was your mom jokes, okay? And I'm not proud of it. I'm not advocating for it. I'm saying that's where we were as a culture in that moment. And so we would, you know, be doing something, blah, 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 your mom, <laughs> Anyway, so we would do that. Well, uh, that's great as long as everybody at the table gets the joke, right? But when you hire new people, there's an onboarding process, Right? And so I did not realize this. Well, I, I, I knew it in my head, but it didn't make sense. Anyway, it came out of my mouth wrong. So we got this new guy. It's his first day, and we've probably been working together for like two hours. I don't know. I can't even remember this guy's name yet. Like, I don't know him at all. And he says something, and I say, yeah, I like your mom. And he just immediately, like, stone face, no response. And I go, oh, no. I break out in a cold sweat. I'm like, Oh no, what if his mom's dead? What if she just died yesterday? Like, what if, like, I don't know what this story is. And I realized I'd walk, I had assumed that I knew what was happening. And then I realized I, I don't know the rest of the bigger story. Like, I assumed a relationship with this guy that I did not yet have. I assumed a place in the story that I did not yet know and had to then backtrack, right? Um, just so that everybody's aware, that was his game. Like, he knew that I didn't know that, and that stone face was like his, oh, I'm going to make him sweat. And so his mom, him and his mom are great. Like, they've got a good relationship. There was nothing there. He just was trying to play me. He got it, so hats off to Connor. You get props for that joke. Um, but the, the, the principle stands that sometimes we get into a story that we think we know, and then we realize it's a much bigger story than we thought. That's what we're going to do in this next conversation today. But as we begin, Lord knows we're going to need some help, so let's pray together. Um, it's our habit together to pray the disciples' prayer. Uh, if you want to pray with us out loud, then the words are there on the screen. But at the very least, would you please bow your heart as we begin this week together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 11. And if you'd like to use these blue Bibles that are tucked under a chair somewhere in the room, it's going to be on page 1217. 1217 in the blue Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. 2, verse 11, if you want to navigate there. 
uh, in some other way. Oh, I gotta, I gotta navigate there too. Why is this open to salt? Weird. Somebody, somebody's been in this room renovating things this weekend. I don't know if you've noticed um, that all of our, our, our huge speakers here are gone, and now we've got new speakers on the side with some subs and a, a new soundboard. That all happened on Thursday, which is incredible. I was nervous about it, but it's doing great. So thanks to Carlos for your uh, your trust and trust of teams. Like there was another team that did this, and they did a great job. Um, Roy, Ron, Rick, Ray, Ray, Ray and Diane and Nick. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job uh, renovating our sound system this week. Thanks to Carlos for heading that up. Um, and now I've got the right page. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 11. Here we go. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I know I've been reading a large chunk, and then we kind of dissect it. I'm gonna, we're going to move through it a little bit slower this, this week. So... Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So I'm going to pause right there because we have enough to deal with. If you're new to church, um, then welcome. I'm glad you're here and you're uh, hearing my voice. Um, but I know that jumping in and going straight to circumcision is probably not what we were expecting this morning. So I'm going to give some, some points of clarification about what we've got going on here. Remember that uh, this letter uh, that we call the Book of Ephesians is actually a letter to a group of believers in a city called Ephesus uh, thousands years, about 8,000 or so years ago. And so we are, as we read this letter, reading somebody else's mail, and we are jumping into the middle of the letter. We're in, in chapter 2, verse 11. So we're in the middle. There's other things going on, and so we need to kind of get our bearings as to what is happening. And, and we've been doing this primarily um, as a starting point. We've been doing this by a thing that I've called irreducible minimum, which is we take the text and then we underline the, the key words that are moving the idea along. We're trying to get to um, how do we get rid of some of these words so we can see what the point is. It occurred to me this week that irreducible minimum is a very academic uh, way to talk about this, and so I have now rebranded it the gist, okay? <clears throat> because I kept talking to people like, hey, what's that thing called that you were doing on Sunday? And I'm like, irreducible minimum. They're like, yeah, yeah, that. And they're like, I love that idea, but they can't remember what it is. So now it is the gist, okay? Excellent. So the gist is, uh, therefore remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, and, uh, and the covenants. So we've completely, by, by looking at the gist, have completely eliminated circumcision, um, which tells you that it, it's, a, it's pointing to something else that's in the, in the, word, in the words here. What is it pointing to? Um, Therefore, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel and the covenants. So, um, first, when you see a therefore in the text, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see a therefore, the, the flag that should go off in your head is, what's the therefore, therefore? What are we talking about? Now, the therefore here is talking about everything that he's already said in the letter so far, which is primarily the thing that we need to build our faith on is Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. So if, if you're trying to, if you're 
uh, on a faith journey and you're going to be building your faith, the foundation, the first thing that we need to build our faith on is, is Jesus Christ and the power of res his resurrection because he's accomplished way more than we could ever understand and we'll spend the rest of our lives unpacking. So if that's true, therefore, remember. Remember, remember what? Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel and the covenants. Well, well remember, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, I didn't know didn't know that before. How can I remember? Well, this is, again, we're reading somebody else's mail. So Paul had spent a significant number of years in the city of Ephesus, or a significant amount of time, I don't know if it was a year, maybe a year, maybe two, um, in Ephesus, spent a lot of time with them and, and would teach them. So it's likely that he has already gone, because of the way that this is going to go, it's likely that he's already explained this in depth. And so he, as he's writing later on, doesn't feel the need to go through and articulate everything he means because we've already talked about this. But I'm just telling you as a reminder, I'm giving you the summary, which is great for the Ephesians. But for me, I'm like, remember what? We didn't, you didn't teach me this. Like, what am I supposed to remember? So the Ephesians are going to remember, and then we're going to have to do some, some creative work to fill in some of the gaps um, to, to understand kind of what is implied here. Uh, remember... Uh, that you were separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, and the covenants. This, this highlights a problem that we may not have known that we had, and it illustrates the fact that we, as Christians in the, in the 21st century, people that don't come from a Jewish background, are actually stepping into a bigger story. All right? So this is... Uh, your first inclination that, oh, maybe I don't understand, maybe, maybe there was something else that was happening in the room before I showed up. So, we've been working on, on Wednesday nights uh, with the students, the, the middle and high school students, we've been working through um, really the whole Bible. And uh, I told them, we're going to go through the whole Bible, and the thing that you need to know is kind of a starting point, is that the Bible's not an exhaustive explanation of everything that's ever happened in world history. And it's, not an, and it's not like a rule book to follow. What the Bible is, uh, primarily, particularly in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, is the story of God working specifically with one family in order to redeem the whole of creation. So the, the story of the Bible actually is the story of God working with one family in particular, and through that family working to save the rest of humanity and redeem all of creation. Okay, so you're like, so what? Well, you've got the whole Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. I'll, I'll refer to as the Hebrew Scriptures because that's the language that they were written in. And it actually is the majority of your Bible. So if you look at your Bible, you've got, uh, you've got most of this. Where am I at? You've got most of this. Like Jesus doesn't show up until like this section and a half. So you've got all of this that happens before Jesus. And, and we come to the table through Jesus, right? Like, that's the reason why we're here this morning. So if, if all of this happened before Jesus showed up, then maybe there were some things that I needed to understand at this point. And this part is talking about God's relationship to one particular family, um, specifically uh, one guy named Abram um, and all of his descendants. And they become, turn into the nation of Israel. So that's what we've been working through on Wednesdays with the youth group. And if you're interested, then you are welcome to, to hang out with us and explore that. Now I'm completely lost. Okay. I, need, I need more sticky notes. That's the problem. Uh, um, so there's, there's, the whole, there's the whole thing. Uh, there's this whole story of God working with a particular family. And with Abram, 
He, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a special relationship with you that's not going to be like any other family in the world. And the sign that I'm going to do something special with you is that you and all of your children after you, all of your male children after you are going to be circumcised, which was not an exclusive thing to Israel, but it, for them it was, we do this practice in the flesh as a mark of what God has done with us in the spirit. And if we are the circumcision, we belong to this family, okay? Are we, are we tracking? That's, that's why circumcision is in there, because he's talking about Israel. Israel is a specific family, a specific, a specific nation, and that God is telling his story about how he works with them. Is that, are we on the same page? Oh, awesome, great. You guys are doing awesome. Me, not so much. So uh, he's, he uses circumcision as the mark of being part of the family, um, of Israel, the Commonwealth is is a, a, a national term. Like when I think of Commonwealth, I think of the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's a state. It's a government term. So if we were um, uh, Gentiles in the flesh, so separated from the circumcision, um, remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the Commonwealth. So you're an alien of this government. Um, and also strangers to the covenant. So you've got circumcision, you've got commonwealth, and you've got the covenants. You've got the family relations, the blood ties, the thing that you're born into. You've got a government connection of there's a ruling authority there. And you also have the covenants which is a spiritual promise. Do you see? Like there's this whole thing that God was doing in the world that was for a specific family. And if you weren't born into that family, you were not a part of it. It wasn't there. You were separated from Christ, and what that means is you were alienated from Israel and alienated from the promises of God. The promises of God that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures are not written to us. They're written to the nation of Israel, the, the bloodline descendants of Abraham that are marked by circumcision as their participation in this family. I want that to make you uncomfortable because you're like, well, that's not how Jesus works. Well, yes, because you know how the story goes, but I want you to know that, at, I want you to remember that when we started, we did not have a dog in the fight. We didn't have a claim to the promise because God says, I'm going to work with Abram and your kids, and if I'm not Abram's kids, then I don't have a way to get to the game. So what we need to remember is that where our starting point was as Gentiles, as people that are not from a, a, a Jewish lineage, that we, we didn't belong to the family. There was no way for us to get in. Remember that you were alienated from Israel and the covenants. And I think, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that through all of my muddled mess, we might take away this morning that um, Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. There's a covenant relationship that God has with this nation of Israel. And if I can, I can see that covenant, but if I don't have the ring on my finger, how do I think that I might participate in the covenant? I can see Yahweh working his grace and showering his grace on that person because he has a covenant relationship with them. But if I'm not the one with the ring on my finger, then why would I presume to think that he would relate the same way to me? I'm outside of the promise. What do we do with that? <laughs> Let's continue reading. Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. Verse 13. 
But now, another big but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So, that's a lot of words. What's the gist? But now, you have been brought near by Christ. He has made us both one through the cross. He preached peace far and near. That's, that's our gist. But now you've been brought near by Christ. He has made us both one through the cross and preached peace far and near. So we, we started with these two camps, those who are part of the covenant relationship and those who are not part of the covenant relationship. But what Jesus did was he, he took these two parties and brought us both together to make a third party. Okay? Um, which I think is fascinating. He makes peace. And, and I'm reminded of our study through the Beatitudes, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, and we made the point in, those, in that series of sermons that making peace is different from keeping peace. There's a lot of people who grew up in passive-aggressive families like mine that was like, I just got to keep the peace. Let's just make sure everybody's happy with everything that's happening. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about laying his life down on the line to make peace, to take warring parties and bring them together to the table to make peace between them, which is costly. Blessed are the peacemakers because there actually was a literal wall between the two parties. When... Uh, when God set up the temple, uh, the temple complex, there is a, a physical wall separating the Jews and their court and their access to God and the Gentiles. The Gentiles can only get so close to Yahweh when he set up the temple. There was a literal wall that when people would try to come to Yahweh, the Gentiles could only come this far and the Jews could go further because of their relationship, because of the covenant, because of the promises. So there was a literal wall, like when, when, when we think, like we don't really think about Jew and Gentile separation, but for them, like there was a tangible, like Berlin Wall thing that was separating these two parties. They did not mix. The oil and vinegar, they didn't mix. But the two become one. It's not that either replaces the other. The two become one, a different thing. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but the, the, the question that this raises for me, I don't know if this does for you, but I'm trying to anticipate some questions, is, well, does, does Jesus then abolish the law or not? Because it sounds like what Paul is saying here is he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Cool, awesome, we get to be part of this, uh, of this thing by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So now are we saying, well, because Jesus showed up, now we don't even have to worry about what was happening in the story before because he's completely abolished everything that was happening in the Old Testament? Because that's, 
the, the way I read it the first time, I was like, yeah, that's that's what it looks like. It looks like the law doesn't matter. It looks like it looks like like whatever we have in Jesus. Like we didn't really need to read the Hebrew scriptures. They're just kind of, you know, a, a really long preface to to Jesus, right? That's what it sounds like. Except that I'm reminded again of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and his very explicit things that I don't want you to be confused. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, I don't want you to be confused. I did not come to abolish the law. And there's not even going to be one little, little punctuation mark that's going to be erased out of it. And if you teach people to not abide by the law, then you also are going to be condemned by it. Like, like I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Well, then what, what is Paul saying here? Do we have a text that is contradicting? Can we trust God's word? I suspect that what Paul is referring to, and I'm, I'm taking this out of, of a verse we haven't read yet, in, in 2.18, he says, for through him we both have access to one, uh, in one spirit to the Father. Access to the Father is the point of his concern. Access to the Father primarily was accomplished through atonement. Atonement was a specific part of the law. I think Jesus, when he's talking, I have not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. He's talking about the whole law from beginning to end. And what Paul is talking about here is one specific aspect of how do we get right with God. And what Paul is saying isn't that, you know, we don't need to read the Old Testament anymore. But what he's saying is Jews used to come to God by sacrificing a lamb. They brought lambs to church and killed them on the altar. And that's how they got to have a right relationship with God. And now, because God's made this third, fam this third thing, you know, you've got Gentiles and you've got Jews, and now you've got this third thing that God's made through Christ, that everybody comes and has the same access to God through the one sacrifice of Jesus, and no lambs are necessary. So I don't, I don't think it's contradictory. I think Jesus is talking about the whole. Paul's talking about the part. Um, and the two things can kind of stand beside. But he preached peace far and near. He preached peace to those who were part of the promise, and he preached peace to those who were far away from the promise. Because all of us have access. Which I think is beautiful. But it raises in my heart an application question of, like, how do I describe my relationship with God? When I think about my relationship with God, is the word that comes to mind peace? Because I, I can share, if you'll let me, transparently, like for a significant portion of my walk with Jesus, the, the, the word that I'd say probably was the biggest like defining thing of my relationship with God was tension. Like I feel like there's all this push and pull, and it's always tense, and I don't know what it is that you're doing, and how do I do this if you're doing that? And I thought we were working together on this, but how do we describe our, our relationship with God? Do we describe our relationship with God as peaceful? Because that's the message Jesus is proclaiming. Peace. Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. Let's get to those verses there in verse 18 that I referenced before. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what, what's the gist? There's a lot of words in there. What's the gist? We both have access to the Father. Jew and Gentile, we both have access to the Father. You, Paul, speaking to Gentiles, you were, are fellow members of the household of God, being built together into a dwelling place for God. So he, he, he throws up this, this, this metaphor uh, of, of God building a house. Um, you know, I, I love you saying house of the Lord this morning. Um, we are adopted into one new household. The church, uh, the, and I'm using church uh, with a capital C, the church, the universal church. You used to be able to say the Catholic church before the Catholic church took that. Catholic used to mean universal. Now it means something different. The, the holy Catholic church, the whole universal church, every believer that has ever uh, trusted in Jesus for salvation across all of time and space, that is the church. The church includes both Jews and Gentiles, but is itself neither. It takes two parties and makes a third party. I don't quite understand. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a mystery. In fact, he'll, he'll call it a mystery, and he'll call it a mystery, and he will then uh, try to relate it to a marriage relationship. Uh, in, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, which we'll get to at some point, in 532, it says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it relates to Christ and the church. There's something about the relationship between Christ and the church with, with Jew and Gentile and the dividing wall being broken down of hostility and then making a third thing out of two separate things. The two become one other thing. It's, it's a profound mystery. I don't quite understand how it works, but, but, but that's what God is doing in the church. And it's not we get one plus one equals one. <laughs> and if you divide one in half, you have half and half. One of the reasons why divorce is so painful. God has made something new. And you can't separate what God put together. In the same way, he's saying here, uh, for the church... This mystery is that God has taken people that were not part of the promise and brought them into the promise. But it's an ongoing process. Did you notice that? Like, this is encouragement for me. He's building a house. It's not done yet. Anybody else need to know that we're not done yet? Like, I, I need that. <laughs> we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. It's, it's an ongoing process. He's, these are living stones. God is working together, working us together to make this household for him to dwell in. Here's, here's the thing I feel like I need to say because we're in the South. When I was growing up in the South, you, you, didn't, you went to the house of God to worship God, and you better not run in that sanctuary because that's where, that's where God's presence is. And I understand, but I understand the reverence, and I do think that we ought to be respectful of the place and, and all of those things, but I don't want us to be mistaken that the church is not this building, that when we walk out the door, this is a shell. And there's nothing here, but that the Spirit of God goes out among us, and the church goes to wherever it is that we end up. We're not neighborhood church to the neighborhoods around us. We're neighborhood church to wherever my neighborhood is because the presence of God resides in us together as we're following Him. We are the church. We are being built together. I, I make a, 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 a distinct point in the morning when I greet you every week. What I say is, good morning, church. I'm not talking to the walls. The walls can burn down. I'll light them up. I don't really care. But Matt won't let me. <laughs> 
I, I greet you every week, good morning church, because that is who we are. We are the house of the Lord being built together. There's joy in the house of the Lord, not because we're singing happy song, but because God is doing something in our soul as we gather together. And I also make a distinct point, particularly when I'm talking to my kids, that we go to the church building. We're here in and out all week long. We go to the church building because the church belongs, or the building belongs to the church. We all own it together. And yet, the church is us, the people. We are being built. Now, he is talking about Jew and Gentile relationship. He's talking about people who literally are born into this covenant promise. That based upon who your mama and your daddy were, you either are in or you're out. And we don't really think about Jew and Gentile so much, but, but that like family origin thing is a thing that, that we know. Like, oh, I, I know where they come from. I know their dad. Yeah, they need to be in church because don't you know, don't you know what their family coming up was like? Like we will make divisions amongst ourselves based upon things that God is not looking at. And so when we come to this text, it doesn't matter what color the skin of your parents were. He's making us something new. It doesn't matter what tax brackets you paid money in or you didn't. He's making something new. It doesn't matter what national anthem comes to your mind when I say national anthem. It doesn't matter what the song is. He's making something new. The kingdom of God is not us separating ourselves. It's bringing every tribe, nation, and tongue, every family together into one new thing that's never existed before. And there's times where if we come from a good family, I was, I was in church every week. I was in church twice a week growing up. on a slow week. And there's some of us that we didn't even, like Jesus Christ was a curse word. But if we're here this morning, the dividing wall of hostility is torn down. We come to the, the, the foot of the cross, like the ground is level, and we all have access to the Father. But whether we're the person who uh, has good relationships and looks down on other people, or we're the people who's had bad relationships and we get all worked up about, I can't believe they would look down their nose. Either way, because we can both do this. If you've read the prodigal son story and not noticed how the, the older brother gets rebuked, like, then maybe you're missing it too. Like, but are we extending the grace to others we hope to receive? Wherever it is that we're standing, whatever it is that we want to divide the lines, are we extending the same grace and kindness that we would hope to receive from other people? Because that is the church. That is, and you're like, man, that's hard. I don't, I don't like it when they talk like that. It's like, yes, do you realize we are being built? Nobody's figured it out yet. And in the day that we're complete, we gone. There ain't no more work to do. We just sing and praises all day long. Hallelujah. Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. I'm going to get through uh, chapter 3 if the Lord will allow, this to, uh, allow us this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, 
as I have written briefly, briefly, uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, Paul now is taking a turn. He's saying, there's, there's something, this, this is how I am engaging with this story. I want, you, I want to be clear about what my role in this story is to the Ephesians. Remember, we're reading somebody else's name. So what, what's the gist of what he's saying? He says, I, Paul, was given the mystery by revelation. The mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow partakers of the promise. I, Paul, was given the mystery by revelation. God revealed it to me. God told me something I did not know. In that, in that egg of knowledge, there were things I know and things that I know I don't know. And then there were things that I didn't know I didn't know. God revealed to me things I didn't know I didn't know about things I know. It was a mystery. It wasn't, wasn't on my radar, but God told me. It was revealed to me by somebody who planned it. The mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow partakers of the gospel. We kind of take that for granted. We're like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, God. Like, like we, we like that, and, and, we, and we ought to. But, I, but Paul is trying to encourage us to remember that it was not always like that. That there was a time if we wanted to come to Yahweh, that meant that we had to be circumcised. And we had to go through a process of becoming part of Israel. And then, and even then, as we would bring our offerings to God, like we could only come so far in the temple. Our access to God was limited. And yet because of what Christ has done, he has ripped the curtain top to bottom and the presence of God has come out and resides among us. That's the mystery. But I think it's fascinating because God chooses to use fallible human vessels as conduits for his infallible word. Like, say what you want to say about Paul. There, Paul, for whatever reason right now, if you get into certain circles, is like everybody likes to beat up on Paul because Paul is kind of a jerk sometimes and he's a little bit of a hothead. He's really direct, and he wrote a lot. And if I wrote a lot of my thoughts down, then you probably wouldn't like me, but because I keep them to myself, then we can get along, right? But Paul, Paul wrote his things down, and so uh, people will pick on you know, certain aspects of the things that he's written. But Paul is a conduit. He's a conduit. He's a, he's a pipe. You look at the pipe and you're like, cool, nice, nice pipe. They probably have some real nice pipes in Fort Myers. But if they don't have fresh water running through them to my sink, I don't care. It's not about the pipe. It's about what they contain. And there's something about the power of God that he can use the most busted pipes to make something beautiful come through it. He entrusts his infallible word to fallible human vessels. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know how we can pick up on so much of Paul's personality here and still land on the infallible word of God. And yet this is this what it is. 
And these conduits even sought to understand the water that was running through them. That's why we read together in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, that as the Spirit was revealing these things and, and was getting people to, to uh, write down the mystery that they could not yet understand, they wanted to know, God, will you tell me what the mystery is? Something about this doesn't quite add up. Will you explain it to me? It's not for you to know. But now after Jesus, we get to know. And so there's a whole bunch of saints in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew that uh, Hebrew Bible who would have loved to know what you were hearing this morning. They had no idea. They trusted that God was going to work it out, but they didn't get all the details. It's hard. <laughs> There's a lot to wrap our heads around, but the question is, will we trust the Bible as our primary guide for life? If God says, I've told you who I am and how it is that I act in the world, like, will we come to that and be like, I don't think I understand, but I, I trust you. Because God, or Jesus, meets our greatest need before we know we need it. Just a few more verses here. Of this gospel, Paul's continuing, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be or might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. What's the gist? Paul says, look, I preach to the Gentiles the riches of Christ. And to everybody, to everyone, the plan of the mystery. Why? So God might be known in heaven. This eternal purpose he has realized in Jesus. So I ask you not to leave. Paul says, look, I get to preach to the Gentiles. I preach to people who were alienated from the promises of God. And as I preach to them, I preach to them the riches of Christ. But I also am in some circles where I get to preach to Jewish people who are heirs to the promise initially. Like they, they knew from the get-go that like this was, this was their family and this was what they were a part of. And to them and to everybody, I preach the plan of the mystery of God. And when I do that, I do that so that the mystery, so that God might be known in heaven. Uh, the, those words came up again, and I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago that when we read um, the uh, rulers and the authorities, is that, are those the words that are there? Uh, yeah, the rulers and the authorities, when we read those, or when Jews would read those words, they would think angelic beings, like we're, we're talking about angels. The rulers and authorities, I, I, I'm telling everybody the mystery of Christ so that the angels get in on the game. I want God's character to be known among the heavenly beings. God's purpose is bigger than you or me. Our lives are not about us. 
Well, sure. But what about this? It doesn't explain how we're supposed to relate to the Ten Commandments. Should we put the Ten Commandments in the schools, or should we let them take it out? Or what do we do with that? But what about this? How do I interact with that verse? That was my favorite verse, but you're telling me it wasn't about me. How do I, what do I do now? They're like, what about the, the, the people that I got to deal with now? Like he says there's no dividing wall of hostility, but man, they're still hostile to me. How do I, how do I relate there? But what about, but what about, but what about, is a strong word, but we've already talked about circumcision, so I'm going to use it. Don't let curiosity castrate our wonder of God's work in us. Don't let our curiosity castrate our, our wonder of the work that God is doing in us. We can get so tied up in what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, that we don't give our attention to the thing that God has already told us. They didn't understand. I'm telling you, this was a mystery, and of course it makes sense to you, but I need you to remember that this is not how it always was. And I don't show you that so that you can feel bad and so that you can have all these things. I show you that because I do not want you to lose heart. If I would cross these enemy lines and I would dissolve this, this wall of hostility so that you could be brought into a new thing that I'm doing in the world, then what makes you think you can't trust me with your bills this week? What makes you think you can't trust me with all of the things that I want to do? Like, don't lose heart because God is working. And Jesus meets our greatest need before we know we need it. Sometimes with my kids, you know, you watch your kids and you're like, oh, this is going to be a problem. And so you kind of go and you fix it and you step back and they come up and they keep going like nothing ever happened. They have no idea that you intervene and, and they assume that that's how life is. That's the hard part about being a parent is they go into situations where you can't arrange things before they get there, and then they've got to figure it out themselves. And then they realize, oh, oh gosh, like, mom and dad aren't here to help me with this. I've got to, I've got to address this issue. And so there's a, there's a kindness in Jesus telling us, hey, I, I met this need for you that you didn't know you had. And you would have kept going. You would have, you would have kept going. You'd have kept making a fool of yourself and all these other things. But I, I, I handled this for you before you. Knew. Be fascinated by the mysteries that God is working on in us. And not caught up in the what ifs so that we might walk away from it. That's pretty good. Now, there's a lot of hard things. Um, I know there are many parts of the story that I have summarized inadequately. So, Lord, I pray that, uh, that these words would be salt in our oats. That would make us thirsty for your word. That where there's a curiosity, it would, it would drive us back to examining that which you have already revealed. And that you would captivate our attention and our affection. That we'd be fascinated by the things that you're doing across the whole of human history. And that we'd be humbled that you might bring us into your story. Now, if there's anything that I've said that's just been my own opinion, pray that those things would be forgotten quickly, that your word would stand true. 
pray for those of us who are starting out on our journey of trusting you, that you would give us the faith to take that one step. For those of us who maybe are beleaguered and, and, and dragging a little bit after miles and miles, that you would just lift us up and encourage us. And Lord, as we're built up, as we're encouraged, as we're inspired, you help us to turn to our neighbor and invite them to join us on the journey. To follow you in all your majesty and all your love and your grace and your care for us. We thank you. It's in your name we pray.